0: My name's Derek. I'm an elder here at Cornerstone. And may I start this morning by wishing you all a very blessed 2021. I don't really want to say Happy New Year, because the Lord doesn't promise us happiness all the time, does He? But He does promise blessing to those that fear Him and those that love Him. So in 2021, may the Lord's face turn towards you, and may He give you peace. And may 2021 be a blessed here for all those that declare that Jesus Christ is King. Amen. Today we'll be looking more carefully at these passages from Romans 14 that we read, and specifically verse 7 to 9. But before we get to the text, I wanted to ask you a question, and you can answer me immediately if you want, but I also wanted to tell you about two interesting things. And the question is, what is going to be your comfort in 2021? So not what is your hopes or your aspirations or what is on your to-do list for 2021, but what is going to be your comfort? And I'll extend the question a bit further and say, what is going to be your only comfort in life and in death? In 2021. And perhaps some of you have come to God's house this morning, feeling quite secure in your careers going well, your family relationships are going well, and everything seems to be on track. And perhaps you don't always feel that you need God's sovereign hand in your life. But perhaps you've come this morning feeling unsettled, feeling insecure, insecure about what's happening in the world. We all know last year has been an incredible upset and turmoil with the COVID virus. And who knows what's gonna happen in 2021? We don't know if there's gonna be a second outbreak. Perhaps you are unsettled this morning because you feel here at Cornerstone we don't have a pastor. Perhaps you feel unsettled in God's house because we don't have a permanent building. Last Sunday we had to go to another place to worship because we don't own a building here at Cornerstone. But perhaps you've come this morning feeling hurt, wishing that in this new year, that hurt will be resolved. Perhaps you're hoping broken relationships to be healed. Perhaps you're hoping that finally your finances are going to be sorted and the debt will be paid. Or perhaps you're hoping that that diet will finally work out. But whatever your hopes is, our question this morning is what is going to be your only comfort in life and in death In 2021, in this year, that's ahead of us. The two interesting things I wanted to mention to you is Lord's Day 1 and Sparrows. With Lord's Day 1, I don't mean the very first Lord's Day that the disciples worshipped together. Or I don't mean the first Lord's Day of every year, which is coincidentally today. So when I mention Lord's Day 1, I'm talking about Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Now the Heidelberg Catechism, for those of you that are unfamiliar, consists out of 129 questions and answers that covers the basics or the foundation um, information about the Christian faith. These 129 questions and answers is grouped together in 52 sections. And each one of those sections is called a Lord's Day. And this is not coincidental, it's by design. There's 52 Lord's Days, and it's for the 52 weeks of the year. So that there's one Lord's Day for every week in the year that you can go from start of the year to the end of the year and cover the basics of our systematic theology. What is it that we believe as Christians? So today... We are looking at Lord's Day 1, on Lord's Day 1 of 2021. And the question of Lord's Day 1 is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? I've added to 2021, but this is the question that we're we contemplating this morning. And it's a very good question, because it cuts through... The things that we want, it cuts through the hopes and the aspirations, and it really gets to behind what is that? What is your comfort? What is the one thing that is going to keep you secure in this year that's ahead? And what we will find is that there's only one truly correct answer to this question. And it doesn't matter what faith you hold, it doesn't matter if you're still seeking God, it doesn't matter if you don't acknowledge the existence of God, that makes no difference to the answer to this question. There's only one true answer. And we will find that this morning. The second interesting thing I mentioned was the sparrows. And when it comes to New Year's resolution list, I doubt that sparrows have ever made it onto the list as someone being concerned for the welfare of sparrows. Sparrows is very ordinary birds. As humans, we don't think much of them. We see them every day, and it doesn't even register with us. A very quick search on sparrows. Here's a few quotes. Sparrows don't get much respect from bird and are even considered a pest. <clears throat> sparrows is a small but mighty villain. Bird watches rule number 72. It's okay to dislike some birds. <laughs> and sparrows are one of them. So, from a human perspective, we, we never really even think about them. But let's see what Jesus says about the sparrows. Let's see what the creator of all things has to say about these birds in Matthew and in Luke. And I want to Just point your attention to two verses there as we take a look at this question. What is our only comfort in life and in death in 2021? So in Matthew 10 verse 29, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside the Father's care. That's Matthew 10 29. Then Luke 12 verse 6. Jesus again speaking, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. So Jesus starts by confirming the earthly value of sparrows. They are seemingly worthless. Two can be bought for a penny, and for two pennies you'd expect to get four. But there's a special because you get five. So two sparrows for a penny, but you get five sparrows for two pennies. But Jesus immediately continues to say that even though we consider them of being low in value, this does not mean that they are outside of the Father's care. And Jesus shares an amazing bit of truth here about the sparrows. He says they do not fall to the ground outside of his care. The Greek word used there is pipto. And the definition of pipto is given as to descend from a higher place to a lower place, either through controlled movement or uncontrolled movement or the exertion of an external power. So when we read Matthew 10, 29, we correctly assume that Jesus is talking about when the sparrows die and fall to the ground. That doesn't happen outside of the Father's care. And that's correct. But these other two options in the definition of pipto, we often miss. It is also descending in a controlled way from a higher position to a lower position, or being thrust to the ground by an external force. So examples of this is for a sparrow to fly and come and land. Another example is for a sparrow to hop on the ground, because as he's hopping, he's descending back to the ground. Another example would be a vulture attacking a sparrow. That's an external force, or a hunter, or a trapper that sparrow falls to the ground. So you're getting the sense of what I'm saying, what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that not even the smallest hop of a sparrow is outside of the Father's care. Have you seen a swarm of sparrows? They are amazingly busy little birds. They fly, they land, and then they hop on the ground hop, 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 they never sit still. And then they fly again, they land again. So imagine this while you're thinking about what Jesus is saying here. Not one of those little hops is outside of the Father's care. And then as this hits home, Jesus continues and says, but as for you, the numbers, the number of the hair on your head is numbered. Not only does the Lord know how many hairs you have, but they are numbered. So knowing the amount of hair and having them numbered, there's a difference. So we just assume that at any time, yes, God knows how many hairs on your head. That's true. But what Jesus is saying here is that every hair is numbered. In other words, From the point of your conception, the hair makes its appearance in your life at the exact time that the Lord's creation order has decreed it to happen. Isn't that amazing? And for those of us losing our hair, we can take solace that that is also in the Father's care. There is nothing that is outside of His care. This is the point that Jesus is making. And this is life-changing truth because we always think that there's a bubble in our life that Jesus is not sovereign over. We always think there is something we can do in our own strength or there's somebody that we can point the finger to that is outside of God's care. So the point is this, Jesus is saying, that God is intimately involved in His creation. He is intimately involved in every aspect of His creation. This includes me and this includes you. God is not indifferent to what is happening in the world. God is not indifferent to what is happening in His church. God is not indifferent to what is happening in my life. And he's not indifferent to what is happening in your life today in this moment. This is the point that Jesus is making. And so with this in the backdrop, think again about this question now. What is your only comfort in life and in death in 2021? And let's now turn to our passage in Romans. And please open your Bibles at Romans 14. And follow with me as we read through those 11 verses. Verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything... But another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So this illustrates the diversity already in the church as Paul writes this letter to the Romans. We are not unique today in Cornerstone, that we are diverse and we have people with different opinions. We see it clearly here that the the uniting power of Christ is the only thing that brings people together from all walks of life and unites them in one purpose. And this is the point Paul is making here. We are united by Christ... And even without a pastor, and without a building, Christ will continue to unite us as long as we hold to him. But it's also true that when and if we reside to quarrels amongst each other, if we think it is in our position to point the finger at somebody else, that by doing that, we are working against this unification. We are working against the unity and this power in Christ. So instead of being aligned with Christ in unifying his body, we cause division. And we work against Christ. And we know that Satan is the master of using our weak flesh to create division. And this threat is real in the church. We all can just look around and see how divided the church is. And this is not Christ doing, this is a symptom of our human pride because we always think there's a bubble of either theology or of life that Christ is not sovereign over. Paul here is saying that when mature believers, both Jew and Gentile, come in conflict with immature believers, or there's there's matters that there's dispute over, the mature believers should not treat the new believers Believers or the immature believers with contempt. In other words, to think less of them. And the new believers should not dare to condemn the mature believers. In other words, judge. And in this context, the mature Jewish believers understood the freedom they had in that the ceremonial law no longer applied. And the Gentile mature believers understood that the idols that they worshipped were merely man-made things and so they could eat the meat, worship to those gods because they were not gods at all. This is the context of what Paul is talking about and he continues and he says it's not wise to put each other in a situation where your conscience is in danger of being violated. It's not something that we as Christians in the body of Christ should be doing. We need to respect each other's conscience. Of course, on matters that is explicitly commanded and prohibited in Scripture, Scripture is our ultimate authority. But on disputable matters, we need to allow a bit of room and we need to allow our fellow believer's conscience to stay intact. And just last thoughts here on these last verses. Paul addresses this section predominantly to mature believers. Because rightfully, we can expect mature believers to have better control of their emotion, to be able to put a guard in front of their mouth, not to say things that are hurtful. And we can expect mature believers to have the willingness to welcome in new believers, even though they might still have a a way to go on their life of sanctification. So Paul is saying the stronger believer should not consider the weaker believer worthless and the weaker believers should not condemn or judge the stronger believer for being reckless. So you might think what has this got to do with our comfort in life and death? But Paul is starting addressed to the church here on a very personal level because this is our nature. Our eyes go down and we get involved with things right around us. I feel like this, I feel like that, I feel you should be doing this and we very soon get into a an quarrel and this is where Paul meets the people and says here and this is his first three verses and then he pulls them out He says, Who are you to judge? Verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. How Christ evaluates each one of us is what is important. And he will judge each one of us in exactly the same way. There's no preferences for my opinion or your opinion jesus will judge righteously verse 5 no person considers one day sorry one person considers one day more sacred than another another considers every day alike each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind so here paul's referring to the sabbath and all the other sacred jewish days, and although this is no longer required by the Lord, some is still compelled to keep these sacred days because of their conscience. And Paul is saying that each person should be fully convinced in their own mind, and that if they have not reached that point, that they realize the full freedom that we have in Christ, we should allow them to grow to that point and keep their conscience intact because our conscience is a gift from God. And even though, like our heart, our conscience is flawed and sinful, it is still a gift from God that should be treasured and should be trained. And we need to listen and abode in our conscience. Verse 6, whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. And you can see here how, how Paul starts with the interpersonal relationships and he starts lifting the thinking up. Thinking away from what's happening between me and you to putting our attention on our master. Who are you to judge the other person? Because the master will judge. That's what Paul's saying. And you might consider things different to me, but that's of no consequence because God will judge both. And so now we are not thinking on the interpersonal level anymore. We are thinking about our master. Our eyes are turned up. Verse 7. None of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. So now Paul's putting our attention to our lives, living and dying. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason Christ died and returned to life so that he may be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So the focus in our Christian living should never be on ourselves. It should never be between me and you. We don't live for ourselves. Everything should be done to please the Lord. Why? Because he is our master. He has purchased us, but so often we don't do this. So often the first words to come out of our mouths is I. I feel unsettled. I feel hurt. I feel insecure. I feel angry. I feel happy. Too often The I is the first word that comes from our thinking, from our speaking. But Jesus says we don't live for ourselves because he's our master and he needs to be our focus. Christ did not only die to free us from sin, he also died to enslave us to him. But not in an enslaving way that brings fear. he's enslaved us to him so that he can sustain us, so that he can uphold us. He's our master. He's our shepherd. And what a shepherd does, a shepherd protects the flock. The shepherd cares for the flock. So again, our question this morning is what is your only comfort in life and in death, in this year, in 2021, and beyond. Well, verse 8 that we just read clearly says, so whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So in life and in death, we belong to Him. There's no ambiguity there. It's quite clear. And the the words of Lord's Day 1 was placed in the corner post. And so if you have one with you on the back page, Please turn around and look at the words with me. The question is given, and then the answer reads as follows. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and has set me free from All the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Romans 8:15 says, "The spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you will live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Jesus doesn't even call this enslavement. He calls us his sons. And by him we cry, Abba Father, our Father in heaven." The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So the I, there should be no more focus on insecurity, anxiety, unsettledness, hurt, loneliness. This should not be in the forefront of what is happening in your soul, in your mind. Think of the sparrows. Think of, think of the numbered hairs. If you ever doubt, try and remember the sparrows. Our only comfort, and this includes every step of life, every step, every breath you take, every step you take, you belong in life and in death, in body and in soul, to our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is our comfort for this year that is ahead. As a body of Christ here, we are not our own. You and your body does not belong to you. I'm sorry it sounds difficult to accept, but this is what God is teaching. You cannot make decisions about your body and about your future without acknowledging the true owner. Who is Jesus Christ. And he's the true owner because he paid the price. He purchased you from your previous master and he not only set you free, but he's now also withholding you and upholding you so that you don't end back where you were. What's the use of being set free only to wander back and being entrapped again? So Jesus does both for us and this is our comfort. To know that this God that has paid with His life gives us this sure promise that He will uphold us and that we belong to Him in life and in death. So let's finish the last two verses of our text. So so Paul has just addressed this and he immediately goes and says, So you then, you, Why do you judge your brother and your sister? Knowing all of this, knowing about the sparrows, knowing about the numbered hairs on your head, why do you still think that you can point the finger and judge another believer? Why do you think that? And Paul's asking this question as a rhetorical question. He doesn't want you to answer because he's given you the answer already. You don't have the right. Why do you treat them with contempt? Why do you think another believer is worth less than you are? Why? You don't have the right. For we will all stand before God on judgment day. All of us. Verse 11, it is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess and acknowledge God. And Paul quotes here from Isaiah 45, verse 23. And he's saying that it doesn't matter if you acknowledge God or not, it doesn't matter if you believe in Christ or not, you will bow before the Creator of this universe and you will acknowledge He's the sovereign Lord of everything. And we need to remember this because in this is warning, but also in this is where our comfort is. This is our comfort because the sovereign God has chosen us. And by looking at the care and detail that the Father has for his creation, gives us that comfort. That if he's involved with the little sparrows, how much more is he involved in my life and in your life? So in matters of abortion... Euthanasia, sexuality, sexual identity, suicide, depression. In all of this, it is clear that scripture teaches we are not our own. We belong in body and in soul. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's paid the price. He's purchased us from our sins and He has set us free and He is also upholding us. It is His unification, His unifying power that brought you here this morning. Do not think that you came on your own strength. Do not think that it is by anything you have done that you are sitting here this morning. It is the Lord's unification and the power in Christ that has brought us here this morning. So may this comfort you in this year that is ahead. And may this be the message from the Lord on the first Lord's Day of this year. May the Lord hold us and may He keep us as He promises. And may you and I stand on this promise and hold on to this promise tightly because it's the only promise that we know will stand. It's the only promise that we know stands forever. And we're going to be having communion in a few minutes' time, and as we move into communion, this is what we need to be thinking about, is is our Savior and what He's done for us. And Lord's Day 1 has a second question, that is also in the corner post. And I want to bring that to your attention as well. The second question is, what do you need to know in order to live in this joy, or live in the joy of this comfort? So what do you need to know to receive this comfort in life and in death? And it says, firstly, you need to know how great your sin is. You need to know... That you are born and received in sin. And that there's no way that nobody is sinless. Everybody is born and received in sin. And this is the first thing. We need to understand our sinful condition. The second thing to know, to receive this comfort, is how am I going to be delivered from this sinful condition? So once you realize that you need deliverance, or that you need a savior, the next is, who is this savior? How can I be saved? And the third is to understand what a life of thankfulness looks like for this deliverance. So the promise of Jesus for comfort in this year is all-encompassing. Like we said, it covers the smallest hop you take, even the flights you take. It covers the hair on your head. It covers everything. But it's not unconditional. You don't receive this comfort until you meet the conditions. And the conditions of faith is that you understand that you are sinful, you know who can save you from your sin, and you understand what a life of thankfulness is. So as we move towards communion this morning, please meditate on these three things. Have you reached the point where you understand your sinful condition? Have you reached the point where you have accepted our Lord Jesus as your personal saviour? And has your life been regenerated and are you living a life bearing fruit because of thankfulness? Our works is not the root of our faith. Our works is the fruit of our faith. So brothers and sisters we will break for a song of worship now and then return to have communion which is the visible signs of this promise of the comfort that the Lord gives to his people. Amen. Musicians. We don't have a song. Okay. Let me just get my... so I hope you each sang a song in your heart. We are now moving to the Lord's Supper, and can I please ask the elders to join here with me? Brothers and sisters, on the Apostle Paul describes the institution of the Holy Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 29. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And so our Lord and our Savior invites us to this meal as often as we can. And to those who by the grace of God repent of their sins, desiring to fight against their unbelief and live according to God's commandments, will certainly be received by God at the table of His Son, Jesus Christ.